We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts gathered here today be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you have heard of a place called Alcatraz? You've got a pulse, raise your hand, okay. Um, how many of you have actually been to Alcatraz? You've visited this place before. Yeah, there are a lot of you, wow. A popular tourist destination. Alcatraz, if you know anything about it, you know that it was, it was built um, to be a, 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 an escape-proof prison, an inescapable prison, uh, built on this island in the middle of the San Francisco Bay, uh, a mile and a half from the co- closest shoreline. For 30 years, this existed as a federal prison where they would send the, the worst of convicts, those who had been um, disruptive in other places, those who were escape risks, uh, those who had committed really heinous crimes, they would send them to Alcatraz where they would be isolated and where presumably they would never be able to escape. Over 30 years of history, though, there were 14 different escape attempts from Alcatraz involving over 30-some people. And uh, officially, according to the official record, all of those attempts were unsuccessful at escaping. Now, I say officially, because you know how the government is sometimes, right? Um, If you actually, uh, you might have seen the movie uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Back in 1962, there were three guys who climbed through an air duct, cut a perimeter fence, and then actually um, made a a raft out of plywood and raincoats. And they got into the, the waters of the bay, and they weren't they weren't discovered even to be missing until morning because uh, they had made paper mache dummies and put them in their bunks. Now, I want to know how they slipped that by the guards during art class, <laughs> making paper mache dummies of them. How do you explain that? Uh, but they did. They left them in the bunks, and so they didn't discover them missing until morning, and they looked, and the raft was on the other side of the bay on the shore, and uh, the government said that that no, 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 they didn't make it. They probably drowned, although they never found their bodies. So I guess you have to decide about all that, what really happened. But, but to me, this whole concept is fascinating. This concept of Alcatraz. Creating a place that no one can ever escape from. I think it's just a really interesting concept. I mean, there's something about that, an escape-proof place. And yet for a lot of us, such a place already exists, and it's called our past. For many of us, our past is the place that we cannot escape from. In fact, it's kind of a misnomer to call it past even, right? I mean, past says that it, it should be behind us, it's, it's way back there, we've moved beyond it, and yet the reality is the past doesn't stay back where it belongs. It's, it's constantly seeping into our present It's coloring our future. Whether you're talking about things that happened to you when you were being brought up, you know, things that happened during your upbringing, you know, those things that you said you would never do when you're a parent and your parents drove you crazy when they did it and you find yourself doing it with your own kids. Or or that embarrassing moment. It may have been something small, but if you think about it right now, it can still make you blush in the present. Or that big mistake you made. I mean, we all make mistakes, but there are some that stand out. And and if you think about that mistake, uh, it makes your heart race and makes your blood go a little cold, maybe. Or or for some of us, it's that missed opportunity, right? For for some of us, there was a door opened at at one season of time, and and we chose not to go through that door. We went somewhere else or through another door. And and so many of us wonder, what would happen? How would life be different if I would have gone through that door instead? It's hard 
to escape Alcatraz, it's even harder to escape your past. But being someone who likes to, to study people and to learn about people and to watch people, I've noticed that there are some outliers when it comes to dealing with your past. In fact, I've come to believe that it's your attitude about your past that is more predictive than what actually happened to you in your past, right? right? It's your attitude or perspective about your past that matters more than what actually happened in the past, whether good or bad. Your attitude or perspective matters more. And as I've studied people, I've, I've, I've discovered that there are really three attitudes or three perspectives uh, when it comes to the past. When it comes to the past, some live in it, some leave it, but some learn from it. When it comes to the past, some live in it, some leave it, but some learn from it. Uh, let's first just really quickly talk about those who live in it. Sometimes these are the people who have been really successful in the past. People who have achieved some great milestone in the past. Or sometimes they're people for whom their present is just so painful that the past seems better by comparison. But, but you know people like this, and maybe at times in your life you are one of these people. Where more than just appreciating the past, you find yourself stuck in the past. You know people who always go back to that legendary football game when they, they trounce the other team and, you know, it was their great day to be a hero or, or the day that, uh, that uh, someone was crowned homecoming queen or, or we go back to that great military battle we were a part of that was really significant on history's stage or, or we even go back to the season when our kids were small and our houses were filled with, with life and vitality what is it about the past that sometimes make, makes us remember it better than it actually was, right? If you went back there to some of those moments, if, if you climbed in your own skin again, you'd probably realize that it wasn't as great then as, as you think it is now. And what is it about the past that does it to us? I don't know, but, but often we find ourselves drawn back into the past, to our glory days, to those, those days that we think were, were wonderful. And then there are other times when we're drawn back in the past not because of anything fond, uh, but sometimes it's because of pain or regret that lives there. In, in prepping for this message, uh, I went back and looked at some of the things that people wrote in during our rewritten.me series. If you weren't here for that, you can still go to the website rewritten.me, and you can see, we asked people to write on postcards. We said, if there's one thing you could change about your story, what would it be? And, and they filled in the blank, and we scanned their postcards in. And it's a fascinating study in human nature, study of regret. And we get to see that, man, people regret a lot of things. Bad decisions, missed opportunities, heart-wrenching tragedies that happen to them. And what we find is, is that although we all have things in our past that we regret or things that we wish didn't happen, some of us actually choose to set up camp in our past. Some of us choose to live there. Every day we wake up in regret land. It's not like Disneyland, it's way less fun, but we still live there every day we wake up there. And you may get some distance from it for a little while, you may escape for a little while, but it's just a short-term temporary leave, because all it takes, you know how this works, is, is a news story, seeing someone that you haven't seen for a really long time, a, a joke, something as innocent as a joke sometimes, a, a TV show, and it can take you right back to that place, back to that pain, back to that regret. It is hard to stop living in the past. And that's what some people do. They, they do that their whole lives. And then there are those, those other pe people who don't, who don't uh, live in their past, but they leave their past behind. And based on what I just said, 
Um, these people, you would think, are, are the people who are doing it right, that this is the better attitude. You know, if, if living in your past is not a good idea, then, then surely leaving your past behind, you know, forgetting what's behind and pressing on to what is ahead, that, that would be better, right, we think. But in reality, it's not necessarily better. See, the past is kind of like a magnet. And you've played with magnets at some point in your life. Uh, and you know that if you turn magnets end for end, you know, you turn them the, 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 the same way, facing the same way, um, what will happen to those magnets? One of two options. One of two options. Um, okay, yeah, they're either going to, yeah, come together or push apart. Yeah, okay, so you have played with magnets before. That's good. Um, so, right, they'll pull together and push apart. So the past is kind of like that. For some people, the past is this magnet, and it keeps drawing us back in. Right? We, we find ourselves living there, stuck there. I just talked about those people. For other people, though, we, we kind of do this flip in our life, and we say, you know what? I'm not going to let my past define me. I'm not going to live there, and so I'm going to get as much distance as I can from my past. And it's sort of like flipping that magnet around, and now what happens? See, the past is still, in this, in this scenario, it's still the greatest influencer in your life. You are still reacting or responding to things that happened in your past. Now, instead of being drawn back in, you're letting your past push you around into some future. But it's all reactionary, and so often it's all extreme. So your parents were abusive. They were harsh with you. And you say, you know what, I'm never going to be that way with my kids. And so you raise your kids without enough discipline. It's not good. Or you were hurt in a relationship, and instead of finding you know, healthier people to be in relationships with or setting firmer boundaries, you decide that you are never going to let anyone hurt you again. And you build a wall and, and you get isolated and you spend the rest of your life alone. It's still, it's still reacting to what happened in the past, even though you're trying to leave it behind. Or for some of you, you've made a huge mistake, and all of us have. We can think of ways that we've hurt people that we love, that we've brought shame onto ourselves or our families. And for some of us, you know, we live there, and some of us, we say, no, 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 I'm not going to dwell there because that's not going to help. But you spend the rest of your life trying to make up for that past failure, trying to make some amends for the past, or, or trying to, to become a saint to make up for what you did, that somehow you're going to make restitution. See, even those who try to leave their past behind, they're still letting their past define their present and their future, and I'd say that's not wise. And plus— you know, even if I could forget my past, even if I could leave it behind, is that really wise? Is that a good thing? You've all heard the quote. It's been spun a m bunch of different ways, but it goes basically something like this. Those who forget the past are destined to repeat it, right? I mean, would it be a good thing if I really could escape my past, if I could just forget it? No, then I'm just going to repeat my mistakes all over again, which actually brings us to the last perspective. So some live in it, some leave it, but some learn from it. See, there is a way to take the past, the bad and the good in the past, and to make it work for you, to, to learn from it. Now, um, this is uh, kind of dangerous for a 36-year-old to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I fear nothing, apparently. Um, uh, sometimes in our culture, we mistakenly, um, we mistakenly equate age with wisdom, or experience with with wisdom. And I hope you know by life, uh, just living life, that that's not necessarily true. That, um, that age and experience don't automatically equate to wisdom. What, what does happen is, is the longer you live and the more experience you have, the greater potential you have to become wise if you're willing to learn 
from your experiences, if you're willing to learn from your past. But we all know people who over the course of living, over the course of years, over the course of experiences, they don't become more wise, they only become more bitter. Or they become more isolated, or they become more hard-hearted. Or, or over the course of years, they are just demonstrated to be more and more foolish as time goes on. Age, experience, uh, they don't equate one-to-one with wisdom. But if you do it right, if you do it right, if you leverage your age, your experience, if you leverage even your past, there is a way you can learn from those things to make them work for you so that you can become wise. And uh, today we're going to look at the words of King Solomon, who was the wisest king who ever lived in Israel's history, arguably the wisest man who's ever lived. And uh, we're going to look at his words from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting at verse 10 as he talks about how we can leverage the past to become wise. So uh, let's look at this here today together. Feel free to open up your Bibles too, or your smartphone using the YouVersion app. You can take notes on the back of your communication piece, uh, but here's the scripture up here. So Solomon says this, he says, Do not say, do not say, why were the old days better than these? So so, um, which perspective is that? People who live in it, people who leave it behind, or people who learn from their past, which of the three would say something like this? Why were the old days better than these? Yeah, those are people who are living in their past, right? They're saying, man, the old days, they were great. Why isn't today as, as good as the old days? And, and uh, look what Solomon says. You didn't believe me before when I said it's unwise to live that way. Uh, but look what Solomon says. He's smarter than I. And he says, for it is not wise to ask such questions. Don't go there, Solomon says. It's not wise. Now, by the way, uh, for some of us here, um, this whole talk about being wise, it's nothing we really care about. Now, for some of us, we care about being popular or powerful or successful. Some of us may care about being skinny or good-looking or whatever. But, but being wise isn't really high on our priority list. It's not an aspiration we aspire to. Look what Solomon says next. He, he kind of gives this plug for wisdom in verse 11. Take a look. He says, Wisdom like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. So you should want to be wise. He says, wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. So Solomon is begging us. He's saying, you know what? Be wise. Seek to be wise. It's really, really a good thing. It's better than money. It's better than protection. It's better than shelter. Seek after wisdom. And, and, and here, as, as he's talking about the past, Solomon is going to beg us to be wise as we, as we uh, deal with our past. And in just a second, I'm going to show you a verse that is really the key to letting your past make you wise. It's the key f- uh, of, of, um, of changing your perspective. So if you're one of those people who lives in your past, if you're one of those people who, who is running from your past, um, this, this is the, the key that will help you stop doing that, I believe, and, uh, and begin to have a healthier, wiser view of your past. So, so you ready for this? It's going to be a life-changing verse. You ready? Y'all don't look ready. Okay, I'm going to give it to you anyway, even though you're not ready. So get your socks prepared to be knocked off. Hold on to them, okay? Here we go. Verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Ta-da! Do you feel wiser already? Let's read that again. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's read this again. Uh, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? What he has made crooked? 
That sort of sounds like maybe God goes around making things crooked. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, is it saying that the things that are crooked, the things that are messed up in your past, those unfortunate events, that, that God is somehow responsible and and, and this whole idea of who can straighten what he has made crooked, is, is that saying that if God has made something crooked, if, if he's caused something to happen in your past, if your past is a little screwy, that, that your, your present and your future are going to be bad too? Uh, thankfully, no. That's not what that's saying. There's a principle about letting Scripture interpret Scripture, and, and we know from Scripture that God doesn't go around making people's paths crooked. It's not his business. In fact, he doesn't need to because we're plenty good at that on our own, right? God doesn't need to help us out. We're, we're, we're masters of making things crooked. No, the truth of what Solomon is saying here is this. He's saying, however, it's not really God, but however things become crooked in your life, he's asking this question, who can straighten what he has made crooked? Who can straighten what life has made crooked? In other words, here's something you need to take hold of. You are powerless, You are powerless to straighten out what has been crooked in your past. You hear this? You are powerless to fix what has happened in your past. And no amount of living there, going back there, playing it over a million times again and again every day, thinking about how maybe if you would have chosen differently, it could have been differently, beating yourself up over it, living in shame or guilt, no amount of that is ever going to fix your present or future. And no amount of running from your past is going to make straight what life has made crooked for you. You you are absolutely powerless to straighten out the crooked things in in your past, in your rearview mirror. Oh, so this must be where religion comes in, right? Religion. So so the job of religion, the reason we come to church is, is so that we can get all straightened out. You know, we're, we're kind of crooked, crooked people, we're broken people, and, and uh, you come to church so you can get straightened out. You know, that's what you do. You have kids, you bring them to church so, so they can get straightened out and they'll become good moral people. And so maybe, maybe religion's the answer to this. That's, that's how you overcome this, right? That's how you overcome your past. You get religious. No. No. So does this mean we're all without hope? I mean, is that what Solomon is saying? He's saying, you know what? If you got stuff back in the past, just deal with it. There's nothing you can do. You're doomed to live out your glory or your shame. No, of course not. See, 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 here's the first thing you need to understand. You are powerless. You are powerless to straighten what has been made crooked in your life. But, but the real issue, the real question for us, after we acknowledge what we can and cannot do, the question is this. Do you believe that God can straighten what you have made crooked? Do you believe God can straighten what you have made crooked? Or, or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's someone else. See, the real question here is, do you believe that God can straighten what you have made crooked? See, often we, we believe, okay, if God is, if God is all-powerful and if he's all-good, if he's all-powerful and all-good, then I should go through life and it should be easy. And when we run across things that are not easy, things that are hard, things that are dark, things that are sad, we, we start to question these assumptions. We say, well, maybe God isn't powerful, because if he were powerful, he could have stopped this. Or, or maybe God's not good. Maybe he has power, but he doesn't care. Maybe he really did set this all into motion, and now he's taking a nap. And he just is like, you know, do it your own way. Have it, have it your own way. I'm just, I'm just going to be over here and kill each other. Have fun. 
right? Isn't this what happens? I mean, you've been there. When something hard happens and you're trying to get through it, you're like, God, are you not powerful? Or are you not strong enough? Or do you not care? Are you not powerful or are you not good? Well, what if God is both powerful and good? But what if the way that he shows his power and goodness is by allowing us to have some free reign, by allowing us to make mistakes and, and, to, and to get kinks and, and ups and downs on our paths, to, to make things crooked along the way. But, but what if God shows his power and goodness, not by preventing us from doing that, but what if he shows his power and goodness by somehow redeeming all of that in the end? Do you believe that God can straighten what you have made crooked? I want you to think for a second about Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses? The guy in the Bible, I'm talking about that Moses. You may know a guy named Moses. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the guy in the Bible, Moses. Raise your hand again, Moses. Okay, a good number of you have heard of Moses. Um, So you know this story. If you don't know this story, you're about to hear it. If you do know this story, you may know it really well, and you could probably teach it better than I could. But I I want you to just to kind of filter out what you already know about Moses and just, just, just receive this today, okay? Moses was one of the greatest figures in the whole Old Testament. I would say the greatest figure in the whole Old Testament, according to my uh, estimation. He uh, wrote the first five books of the Bible, powerful figure, first leader, first uh, prophet, first priest of, of Israel, really. And, uh, and Moses, do you know his past? Moses was born not in the promised land, not in the holy land. He was born where, do you know? Egypt. He was born in Egypt. And he was born in Egypt during a time when his people were enslaved. They were slaves to the Egyptians. Not only that, Moses was born at a time when his people were under a death sentence. So every male child who was born during this period of time that Moses was born was to be put to death immediately because the Pharaoh started to get a little intimidated. The king of Egypt got intimidated about their, their power if they should ever revolt. And so uh, Moses was not only born to a people in slavery, he was born at a time when every male baby was to immediately be put to death. And somehow Moses was born, and that didn't happen. And so what his mom does, just grasping at straws here, she puts him in a little basket and puts him in the Nile River among the reeds to hide him. I mean, this is not a good plan, really. You know, if you want to save your child's life, putting them in a basket in the river, that plan stinks. They will call protective service. Don't do it. It's a bad, bad idea, right? <laughs> but she's a desperate woman. She doesn't know what to do. And so she goes, ah, they're going to kill him if they find him. So I don't know. I'm going to put him in a basket in the river. And that's what she does. And, and, and then what happens next? I mean, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, the princess of Egypt, she, she comes down to the river. And she, she hears this baby crying. And she sends a servant over there. And they're like, look, it, here's this little Hebrew baby. And instead of, you know, dashing it against the ground and killing it like she should, she goes, oh, a baby. Let me take him home. I mean, you've done this with a puppy or a kitten, but a baby, seriously? So she's like, I'm going to take this baby home, and I'm going to have him live in my father's house, and and, and I'm just going to raise him as my son. And she even sends for a a Hebrew wet nurse who happens to be Moses' mother, and I mean, just just incredible stuff. And so, so here you have this baby who was born at a time when his people were in slavery, when all male babies are being killed off, and he gets put in this river as a last-ditch effort, and, and he ends up living in the house of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I mean, what are the chances? And, and because his mom's his wet nurse, he still has a, he has, a, he has a relationship with his family, and so he learns about his roots. Now, you better believe something about Moses. You better believe that as Moses grew up, he knew that God had something special in mind for him. Right? I mean, 
Who survives all of that? This doesn't happen to normal people. Surely God's hand is on him. Something, something great is going to happen in his life. God's going to use him. And so Moses, he grows up. You better believe he grows up with this sense of purpose, this sense of, of destiny, of God's going to use me someday. And then time goes on, and, and one day, uh, he's, he's a man now, and, and he's out, and he sees this Egyptian taskmaster, this slave master, brutally mistreating a Hebrew slave. And uh, in, in Moses, as, as that happens, there's this righteous indignation that starts rising up in his gut. Because those are his people, and that's just not right to treat people that way. And, and this righteous indignation, it, it starts to bubble up, and it boils over into anger, and anger becomes rage. And, you know, Moses, being this privileged guy who lives in Pharaoh's house, he's kind of above the law, and so he kills the slave master on the spot. And then he freaks out. And he tries to cover it up, but he doesn't do a very good job. And people start to talk about it. And Moses really freaks out then. And, and, and you know what he does next? He runs away. He runs out into the wilderness, out into no man's land. He, he meets this family of nomads. He marries one of the guy's daughters. He starts a family. Now, I, I want you to think about this for a second if you're Moses. He grew up with this sense of, of great destiny. God is going to use him. And can you imagine the despair he must have felt that, that because of one moment of rage, because of one moment where he lacked self-control, all of that was wrecked now. I mean, his miraculous uh, saving from, from the time he was a baby, growing up in Pharaoh's house, all of that was out the window. I mean, can you imagine the despair that Moses must have felt? God was priming him for something great, and he blew it. He messed it all up. I mean, some of you have given up to the point or given up even the idea of living over things less traumatic. I mean, can you imagine how Moses must have felt as he thought about his life and all that he had lost, all of that he had squandered because he made a dumb mistake? It must have been crippling for him. And so he lives his life, and he's just, he's just going to live his, the rest of his life out in the wilderness, saying, you know what, I had a shot, and I blew it, and I'm done. And, and then one day he's out doing some herding, and, and he sees this scrubby bush that's on fire, and God starts speaking to him from the bush, and maybe you know that story. And, and basically God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to rescue my people from slavery. I want you to lead a couple million people out of slavery right underneath the nose of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Moses goes, you're out of your mind right? I mean, I'm not going back there. I killed a man. They could still throw me in jail. I've, I've got bad history there. I blew it. I am not the guy who's going to come and do something great. And God says, no, 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 Moses. I want you to go, and I'm going to be with you, but I want you to go, and I'm going to use you. In essence, what God is saying is, Moses, I'm not going to use you in spite of your past, but really, I'm going to use you because you have a past, right? You were raised in the house of Pharaoh, so who better to go and speak to a king other than someone who actually was raised in the house of a king. And, and you've shown that you've got a righteous indignation about slavery, and I don't like it either. And Moses, I need someone with a heart like that. And sure, you let it get out of hand once, but I think you've learned, and, and, and I can use that indignation. Someone has to hate the situation of the Israelites as much as I do. Moses, I'm going to use that in you. And Moses, by the way, all this time you spend in the wilderness, hiding like a coward, thinking everything is over, I'm going to use that too, because for about 40 years, people are going to be wandering around out here, and it'll be good if someone kind of knows their way around. right? So Moses, I, I'm going to use you, not in spite of your past, but I'm going to use you because I think you've learned from your past. I'm going to use you because you have a past. 
Do you believe God can straighten whatever you have made crooked? Or what about Paul? Uh, you know, Paul, this guy who's, you know, written most of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament. And uh, if you know Paul's story, you know that he started off, he comes on late, uh, he comes onto the scene late after Jesus has died and risen and has gone away. And Paul shows up as a persecutor of the church. Paul is someone who hates Jesus of Nazareth, thinks he's a fraud. And Paul, man, he, he's a guy who is just so zealous and, and courageous and bold that he doesn't care. He goes around and he arrests people and he, he throws uh, people in jail and tortures them. He even kills people. In fact, one of the guys he killed was nothing more than a Christian waiter. His name was Stephen. And he was selected, um, you know, from a group of people to basically feed old widows. So, I mean, think about how benign you can get, right? And this guy's no threat. He's feeding old widows to make sure that they are adequately fed. And along the way, he's talking about Jesus. And Paul is so zealous. He hates this movement so much that he takes that guy, Stephen, who's feeding old widows. And he takes him and he stones him. He kills him. And he feels like totally justified. And, and, and if you know the story, one day Paul is riding to Damascus to do the same, to do it to more people. And God uh, appears to him, Jesus appears to him and knocks him on his rear end and says, go to Damascus, there's a guy you need to talk to, he's going to set you straight. And, and so Paul's freaked out, he's blinded, he's, he goes into the city of Damascus, he talks to this guy, and, and in that moment, get this, Paul realizes that his whole life, he's been on the wrong side of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, can you imagine that moment? I mean, can, can you imagine? Not, not just being ambivalent about Jesus and one day coming to know him. I mean, a lot of us have been there, right? We were kind of like, ah, oh, Jesus, I don't know, whatever. And, and then we come to know him and we're like, wow, this is great. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Paul in that moment where he says, I have spent my whole life being on the wrong side of this guy. The son of God in human flesh. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Paul? He must have felt like, you know, just this big. But God says to Paul, Paul, I'm going to use you, not in spite of your past. I'm going to use you because you have a past, because you've shown yourself to be crazy, right? You're zealous. You will, you will, you will do crazy things. When you set your mind at something, Paul, you will go out of your mind to accomplish it. And I need a guy like you who's a little bit crazy. I need a guy who's determined, right? I need a guy who understands, most importantly, the power of my grace, that it's not about you or who you are or whether you're good or bad. It's all about my power to make you alive again. Paul, I need someone like you, and so I'm going to use you not in spite of your past, but because of your past. Do you believe, I'm asking you today, do you believe that God can straighten out what you have made crooked? See, whatever regret you have in your past, whatever mistakes that you've made, whatever that thing is that, that just keeps its claws on you, do you believe that God is powerful enough and he's good enough to somehow straighten all of that out. In, in fact, do you believe that God is powerful enough and good enough that he can take those things from your past and he can leverage them, he can actually use them for a life of impact in your present and in your future? See, whatever it is you're carrying here today, that, that source of deep shame, it just might be that that's the thing where if you really open yourself up to God and you really trust God, that, that God will begin to, to use that thing, to leverage that thing, to give you a, a, a present and a future of impact that's beyond your imagination. He may do something less with it, but he can do something great with it. Do you believe? The question is, do you believe that God can straighten 
what you have made crooked. If you still don't believe, let me just remind you of this. I want you to think for a second of the darkest moment in human history. I want you to think for a second, just, just in your own mind, you know, name it, name it in your own mind. What is the moment where humanity was at its ugliest, its most evil, its most dark, its most disgusting? What is that moment for you as you, as you think about the course of history? You know, some of you are thinking Holocaust, some of you are thinking genocides. Uh, the moment of greatest ugliness in all of human history is this. I'll tell you this unequivocally, it's this. It's not a matter of opinion, it's true. It is the moment when humanity took the perfect, good, and holy Son of God, who, who came into the world only to teach about God's love and God's grace. He came to heal and to lift up those who were lowly. He, he came to, to, to forgive those who had lived their whole life as outcasts and to restore them. He, he came to teach about, about God's incredible acceptance and love and forgiveness, and, and, and he came to bring hope to people. I mean, who could hate a guy like that? The darkest moment in all of human history is when we, humanity, when we took Jesus, this one who was all righteous, all good, who, who had nothing evil or bad within him, and out of, out of jealousy, out of, out of rebellion, out of hatred, out of spite, we took him and we nailed him to a cross to get rid of him because he was just too good. I mean, can you think of a darker moment in all of human history than when we took... It, the holy son of God who was good and nailed him to a cross? I mean, can you think of anything more crooked? Can you think of anything more twisted? Can you think of anything darker than that? And yet, what, what has God done with that? I mean, we've got a giant cross up here. If you're online, you can't see it, but it's up there. Um, over here, we've got a, a cross. They're, they're all over the place. It should be that when we see that cross, we shake in terror, in fear of revenge from a holy and just God who is out to get us for what we did. I mean, that should be a terrifying reminder to us. But, but what has God done? He, he has taken the most crooked thing we have ever done as people, and he somehow straightened it out. He's taken our darkest moment in human history, and he's made it the salvation of the world. He's taken the most wicked thing that we have ever done, and he's turned it into our rescue and our hope forever. Amen? Do you believe that God can straighten what you have made crooked? Do you believe that no matter what is in your past, no matter how bad it is, do you believe that God is powerful enough and good enough to use that? If so, then become a learner. Then become a learner when it comes to your past. And not just learning about life principles, not just learning about yourself, but become a learner in this way. Learn about how powerful God is. Learn about the redemptive power of God. Learn about the grace of God. Look back at your past and look for traces of how God straightened out what you had made crooked. Because if you can learn that from your past, then, then your present and your future they will not only be good and fulfilling, they will be powerful. Now, now some of you may still be uh, struggling with this, so, so I just want to share with you um, the last few words from Solomon. And this is kind of a postscript based on everything I've just said. And especially for those of us who sometimes feel like 
well, well I, I can't really be free from my past, and maybe God isn't straightening it out because there's this stuff that keeps happening in my life, and I think it's a result of what I've done. It's kind of like this bad karma stuff that keeps coming back to get me. I want you to see what Solomon says about this at the end of, uh, at the end of this, uh, this scripture reading. He says, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. He says, just, just kind of relax. Don't get so uptight trying to read into everything. He says that even more so uh, in verse 15. He says, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. We've seen this too, right? People who are righteous, people who are doing good, and, uh, and yet nothing, nothing good happens to them. And Solomon says, you know, the same thing happens. Wicked people are doing wicked. They live long and they're blessed. He says, don't make too much of this. So often we do this false attribution thing. And we say, well, well, if I'm suffering, if I'm hurting, if I'm perishing, it must be God trying to get back at me for something. And Solomon goes, that's not necessarily true. Just relax about it. Look at this, verse 16. He says, do not be overrighteous, neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overwicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? These are some crazy words, but, but li- listen to how he sums it up. He says, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. That's where I want to leave things for you today. Whoever fears God Whoever wants to be wise will avoid all extremes. You will, you will avoid the regret and the despair that comes from thinking too much about your past, attributing too much power to your past. If you can avoid that extreme, you will be wise, you will be blessed. But on the other side, you know, I love how he says, he says, you know, uh, hold on to one without letting go of the other. Because there's something you can learn about your past. If, if you block it out, if you just try to ignore it, if, if you don't learn from it, you're missing out on some of the power that God can, can do through your past. But on the other side, I mean, and this is where it really comes down to it again, do you trust and believe in a God who is both powerful and good enough that he can straighten out whatever you have made crooked? Do you believe that he's got the power to redeem your past? Here's how I want us to end. I want you to stand up right now uh, because here, here's the thing. You know, I'm talking about the past here for a while and, and you're thinking about your past. And I'm saying that God can use your past and God can redeem your past and he's powerful and good enough that, that he can straighten out what you've made crooked. And I'm telling you not to worry about your past, but the reality is there, there is a, a dark power in our past. And the way that we get free from that, the way we escape from that, is not by just thinking happy thoughts or shaking it off. The way we get free from that is through confession. And so I want to invite you in a moment of quiet to confess to talk to God about your shame and your regret and your failure and your mistakes. Don't be afraid to admit to him all of those things and ask him to free you from those things. Do that right now in a quiet moment of confession.